Hello and welcome to the Life Canton podcast. My name is Jared and I'm one of the pastors here and I hope you're having a wonderful day. Uh, Roger is out this week because he has taken a bunch of middle school and high school students on a weekend retreat. So I get the privilege of being your host for the day. And uh, we are in a series called Revival. And we've been in a series since the beginning of January. Uh, it's part two series. We'll talk more about that in this message that you're about to hear. Uh, first part on prayer and fasting, this part on worship. And so I'm actually going to be the one giving the message on worship um, through justice. And so that'll make sense more as you listen to this message. But um, as you do, I pray that you are inspired uh, to connect with God in maybe a brand new way, um, as well as to respond. Uh, you can respond by giving to Life Canton. You can go to lifecanton.org give and invest in the work that we get to be a part of. I uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, and please enjoy this sermon. Man, welcome. Uh, that was powerful. I hope you get a sense of that as well. And uh, we're going to experience more of that on the back end, do a little bit more singing toward the back end of our gathering here today. But welcome to Life Canton. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new or newer here, I uh, would love to get you connected. I've already met one family. Um, and they're going to be in here for two hours because they have babysitter care in the child care. So, so they're going to hang out a little bit. Um, a lot of amens for that one. That's cool. Uh, we are glad that you are here. If you are newer here, please get connected. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear Bridget talk about the QR code and filling out the Connect card, that's okay. You can go out into the lobby at our Welcome Center and, uh, and meet us out there. And then we will help you take a next step because we want you to experience belonging. You belong is an important phrase for us. If you're joining us online or on the podcast a little bit later, thanks for joining us as well. Uh, for those of you in the room, at any time, if you miss a Sunday for whatever reason and, and you want to go back and listen to a message, you can uh, do that through the podcast or through our website as well. Uh, if you're newer here, I'm going to ask that you bear with me for just a moment because uh, we're going to get into our revival series. Uh, but first, I want to talk about some in-home family business for those of you who call Life Canton your home. Uh, we're going to talk about just a couple things briefly. Uh, the first thing is this, is I recognize that uh, I think it's been well communicated up to this point now uh, that our lead pastor, Nathan McWhorter, has resigned of his position as lead pastor. And so we are now in transition mode and we are doing everything that we can along with the leadership team to care for him and his family as they determine what those next steps for him uh, are and, and, and their family as well. Uh, what's also been communicated, I hope, is, uh, is that I have already stepped into the role as interim lead pastor. I want to let you know that uh, my desire is to, to go beyond just the interim role, but there's a process that needs to take place, and so we're going to honor that process. Uh, but I want to just uh, share a couple reflections from my heart uh, about this transition and about what's, uh, what's coming ahead. Uh, first and foremost, I, I want to express my gratitude uh, to Nathan uh, to be a leader and walk our church through all that we have walked through the last five years that he's been here, but specifically the last three years, is no small task. And that is not unnoticed by me or by many of you. And so I want to express my gratitude uh, to Nathan for that and for the hard work that he's done uh, to take us to this point. I also want to express my gratitude toward the leadership team who has navigated us through what is a very challenging uh, transition in many churches. This can lead to a lot of confusion, a lot of division as well in many churches. And, and they're volunteers doing this job as, as the leadership team and 
and I want to commend them um, for the work that they've done to navigate us through this challenge as well. I just would share my own personal reflections uh, about how I'm feeling, and, and please know that I want to make myself available uh, for whatever conversations that you might want to have with me specifically, and so you can reach out to me, and uh, we'll try to schedule something, and I would just love to make myself available for any conversation. Uh, but I would share right now from stage um, that I do not feel anxious. I don't feel rushed. I don't feel hurried. I don't feel worried or unsettled about uh, right now in this moment or about what's to come. In fact, I feel incredibly humbled and honored to be able to serve in this capacity to bring about uh, stability within the transition, yes, um, but also to work alongside the team and the staff and to be spirit-led to continue to move our vision forward. That is not changing, and that will not change. And so we will move our vision forward together. But I am not feeling anxious about any of that. I feel peace, I feel hope, I feel optimistic about our future ahead. I do recognize that everybody uh, processes this information differently, and so if you are feeling confused or pain or grief, that's all part of the process, and it's necessary to the process, and I would ask you to embrace those feelings that you might be feeling. And if I could impart onto you any of my peace, any of my hope or joy, um, I would do so, and I would do so by, by sharing Paul's words to the Philippian church some 2,000 years ago, where he's writing from a prison cell, and this is what he says to a church. He says, don't worry about anything, but what about, no, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me for a moment? God, we recognize uh, the weight of change and transition. And all of us deal with change differently. That God, some of us are feeling confused, some are feeling maybe hopeful, some are feeling hurt. Uh, But God, we ask for that peace that we don't understand. We pray that you would fill us with the presence of your spirit and learn to trust you to move forward in our vision and that we would come together as a body and encourage one another and build each other up in the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, We are in a series called Revival. We've been in a a two-part series, really. We spent the month of January talking about revival, uh, prayer, and fasting. This month, we spend time... Uh, We've been spending time on revival in terms of worship and how worship plays a part in that. And I'm not naive to the fact that uh, there's a whole thing going on down in Asbury Seminary. Uh, Maybe some of you are aware of that. Some are calling it an outpouring. Some are calling it revival. doesn't matter what you call it, but God is up to something. God is moving in that place. And there's a whole lot I could say about that. In fact, uh, there are several people that have asked me questions. What do you think about that? What should we think about that? How should we describe what God is is up to. And I haven't been personally, I, so I haven't experienced it myself, but I have developed some ideas, some thoughts. 
I don't have time for all of that in this sermon, but I did write about it and put it in the form of a blog that's on our website. You can go there and click on media, click on blog, and you can read more about it there. And if you want to have a conversation about that, be happy to talk with you more about that. But God is up to something, and it's no coincidence that we're in a series called Revival. God is moving. God will move in our community. And he does that in places of worship and, and singing. And so what we've been doing is looking at psalms, which are songs of the Old Testament, songs of the people of God. And so what I want to do is, uh, so far we've talked about a psalm of praise, a psalm of rest. Today we're going to talk about a psalm of justice. Next week we'll talk about a psalm of love. We're going to look at 146, Psalm 146 together. And if you don't have a Bible, that's entirely okay. It'll be on the screen so you can follow along in that way. But it starts off by saying this. Praise the Lord. Anybody say praise the Lord. Let all the earth, let all that I am praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God within, uh, with my dying breath. Don't put your confidence in powerful people. There is no help for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth and all their plans die with them. But joyful are those who have the God of Israel as their helper, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He keeps every promise forever. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord protects the foreigners among us. He cares for the orphans and widows, but he frustrates the plans of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. He will be your God, O Jerusalem, throughout the generations. Praise the Lord. Definitely let me hear you say praise the Lord one more time. Praise, praise the Lord. Lord. That's a good praise. There's lots of joy. There's lots of hope. There's lots of optimism. But in the middle there, we've got to deal with some stuff. It's a psalm of justice. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but what I've noticed as I was preparing for this message is that these couple weeks that we've been in so far, including today, including next week, have actually sort of uh, followed the flow of our vision, in case you didn't notice it, from praise and rest to justice and love. Have you noticed this? If you know our vision, uh, a little pop quiz, I'm going to ask you to recite the vision with me, okay? Would you say it with me? It's to reclaim. Now, I'm going to cover it up. I don't want you to see, all right? Say it with me. Reclaim our identity in Jesus and bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. Reclaim our identity. Reclaim our identity. Think about the first two weeks. We talked about a psalm of praise and a psalm of rest. Think about where our identity is. How do you find your identity? Where do you find your identity? How do you define your identity? What if we defined our identity by being in a position of praise and a residence of rest? Man, that, that would be enough, right? Like, that would be amazing. Let every breath that I have praise the Lord. And then Vincent talked about a residence of rest. The Lord is our resting place. And if I had just those two things alone, man, that would, be, that would feel like safe and secure. I could praise the Lord. I could sing. I could clap my hands. I could dance like, like Vincent danced like this. I'm not going to do too much because I don't want to throw out my back. So I got to be careful, all right? But we could do that. That would be enough for us to go on, to worship, and to bring about revival. But don't you know that worship isn't just that? Worship isn't just our praise. Worship isn't just our place of rest. And we can find our identity in that, and we should but it should lead to something. 
Paul put it this way. He talked about an expansive understanding of worship in a new way when he talked to the Roman church. He said this in chapter 12, verse 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him with your body, with how you participate, with your actions. Don't you know that the second part of our vision is to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love. That is a bodily, active, participatory kind of thing that we do, that we engage in. Our whole bodies engage in this. Engage in what? In acts of justice. We move We don't just sing about it, but then we extend it outward. This is what God is calling us to through David and through the psalm, Psalm 146. I want to focus specifically on verse 7 where he says this, He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. See, in order to have justice-focused worship, we also have to talk about injustice. You can't just talk about what God will do unless you talk about what has been done. You have to talk about the fact that there are oppressed people, that there are those who are hungry and in poverty. There are those who are incarcerated and imprisoned in a variety of different scenarios. There are killings and shootings. Yet again, we have to acknowledge another school shooting at Michigan State. Just add it to the list. Are we numb to this? The injustice, the things that sicken the heart of God, do they sicken our hearts? And do we want to do anything about it? See, in order to talk about justice and to have justice-focused worship, we have to acknowledge that there is injustice. We have to tell the truth about what has been, what is, as well as what will be. We've been, uh, I've been part of a cohort, I've mentioned this a couple times, I think, a justice-focused cohort. It's got a big name. It's called the Anti-Racism Discipleship Pathway. It's kind of a mouthful, but it's really great and profound. I've been uh, teamed up with a group of white pastors and ministry leaders within our denomination, the ECC, the Evangelical Covenant Church. And we've been talking for uh, several months, over a year now. It's a year-long cohort. Uh, all different kinds of books and resources and podcasts and songs and documentaries, uh, all focused on understanding uh, how, how to be part of really justice-focused worship. And specifically, as we're in the month of Black History Month, we've been talking about some things related to that. We focused in on some works by Brian Stevenson. I want to show you a picture of Brian Stevenson who has done a lot of justice-focused worship, uh, or sorry, uh, work. And uh, one of the things that he does is called the Equal Justice Initiative. And he actually just spoke recently at our, one of our denominational meetings. Uh, just a little bit of background about uh, Brian Stevenson. He wrote a book called Just Mercy, and then they made a movie about it. And they got Michael B. Jordan to play his role. How cool would that be, right? That would be amazing. That, that would be like, wow, that's, that's really flattering. Like, if they made a movie about me, like a biopic movie, they'd have to, like, talk to Dwayne The Rock Johnson, right, to play the part. <laughs> Don't laugh, because the resemblance is uncanny, I'm sure you thought. If I turn to the side, you're like, where'd he go? Um, no, they, so they, 
did a movie on Brian Stevenson telling about his life, and it's incredible that at a very young age, as a young law student, he becomes passionate about the incarcerated. And even more specifically, he becomes passionate about those who are on death row. And he even gets to interact with some of them, this really this young kid, this college kid, which if you're a student in the room, God wants to use you in powerful ways that you might not even realize. He uses Brian Stevenson to actually be part of the legal process and even was able to get some of the men who were wrongly convicted off of death row and freed after some time. Yeah, we can clap for that. That's amazing. And he's a man of faith. He's a man of conviction. And he spoke uh, quite recently at our denominational meeting. He told a ton of stories, just a phenomenal uh, collection of of stories that he has from his experiences, but he told this one story that really stuck out at me, that that really kind of uh, packaged the combination of Psalm 146, verse 7, and Romans 12, 1. And he tells this story about these jars that he's standing in front of. I want to do a close-up of some of these jars. There's this museum down in Birmingham, Alabama that's part of the Equal Justice Initiative. And all of these jars are filled with different kinds of soil uh, throughout the region. And they're different colors because they represent different parts of that region, different geographical locations. But all of these soils have a story to tell. And you might not be able to see it, but there's names and dates on each of these jars. And what they represent is the soil, the place where that individual was lynched, was killed. And so all of this soil has been collected in these jars and put on a shelf in this museum as a way to not only acknowledge, to tell the truth about the history, but also to commemorate and honor the death of some of these people who probably died alone in the most horrific ways. And so part of what the Equal Justice Initiative does is they send out these teams of people to go out to these different locations where they know of at least enough details to, uh, about a particular lynching and to get this soil and to put it together in a jar. And they talk with a group of people ahead of time and they say, oh, we're going to give you this sheet of paper that describes a little bit more of that, that specific uh, scenario and the specific place where you need to go. And then they're going to give you a little uh, digging tool. And he tells a story of this one older, elderly black woman who is going to go to this place out in western rural Alabama, and she's going to go by herself. And she's going to go to a place where a man who was lynched in 1936, he died, and she's going to dig up the soil and put it in this jar and bring it back to the museum. And he recounts the story of her going out to this place And she's there, and it's hot. It's western rural Alabama. She's kind of out in the middle of the nowhere, this ominous side of the road. And all of a sudden, as she's doing this work, she notices a truck drives by. And it's this white man in the truck. She gets a little nervous, but she continues to to dig the soil and to fill up the jar. Then all of a sudden, the man drives back, passes her again. But this time, he stops the vehicle Imagine being in her shoes, being in that place, wondering what's about to happen. And he gets out of the vehicle. He starts walking toward her. And she remembers what Brian tells the group. He says, hey, you know, if, if somebody approaches you, you can just tell them, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just getting dirt from my garden. You, you can just tell them that if you don't feel comfortable talking about what it is that you're doing. And as the man approaches her, he says, ma'am, what are you doing? 
And she thought about, well, I could just say, you know, I'm getting dirt from my garden. But she says, in that moment, something came over me that I needed to tell the truth about the history. She said, I'm digging up this soil and I'm putting it in this jar because in 1936, a man was lynched. And I'm finding a way to commemorate his death. And then I'm going to bring it back to this museum. He looks at her and he says, is that piece of paper, uh, talk about that. She said, yes, it does. He said, can I read it? And begins to read through the story of what happened. And he gives her the piece of paper back. And he said, ma'am, would it, would it be okay if I could help you? She said, absolutely, yes, you could do that. He tries to give him the tool to, to start dig, digging the soil. And he, she, he says, no, 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 that's okay. I could do it on my own. And he gets down on his hands and knees and he uses his bare hands and digs into the soil to start filling up this jar. And at first, he's going strong and he's, and he's doing it, but it's a hot day. They're out in the sun and eventually he starts to become overcome by just the, the work of it and using his bare hands. He gets a little bit tired. He starts to slow down a little bit and then as she looks down, she notices a tear running down his face. She says, sir, are you okay? He says, no, ma'am, I'm not. She says, what's the matter? He says, I'm just so worried that it might have been my grandfather that helped lynch this man. And she sits down beside him and they just begin to weep. They just cry together. And then after a while, they, they compose themselves, they, they finish filling up this jar, and they stand up, and, and he says, hey, ma'am, would it, would it be okay if I took a picture of you holding the jar? And she said, yes, that would be all right, but tell you what, I, I want to take a picture of you holding the jar as well. And so they exchange pictures, and then he says something that surprises her. He says, ma'am, would it be okay if I followed you back to Birmingham? to carry this jar back to the museum. She said, absolutely. And so they go back, and Brian, as he recounts this story, now he is in this position where he's standing in the museum, and he's walk, watching this elderly black woman and this white man walking together, arm in arm, carrying this jar that represents a shameful, horrific act, turning it into something beautiful and redemptive. She tells the truth. They confess to each other. They weep together. They lament together. And then they walk together in unity towards something redemptive and hope-filled. What does that story do for you? What does that compel you to believe about the heart and character of God? I was wrecked by this story. Just thinking about a moment like this and many other moments that have taken place, but also the redemptive moments that I could be a part of to bring, bring about restoration and unity in the body of believers. We have to tell the truth in our justice-focused worship in order to move forward in unity together. This is worship. This is worship. It's not just the singing and the dancing and the clapping. It should lead to something. It should lead to acts of justice. That is 
our worship, not just a part of our worship, it is our worship. And here's the thing I recognize is that I wasn't taught to read the scriptures in this way. I wasn't led to believe that about these texts in Psalm 146 and Romans 12.1. I, I read things like, well, it's the Lord who gives justice to the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. He frees the prisoners. The Lord gives. The Lord frees. The Lord opens. The Lord lifts, loves, protects, cares, right? It's the Lord doing these things. Well, and if it's him doing all of these things, then that's kind of an opt-out clause for me. That there's no participation required of me because it's God doing the work, not me. It's a spiritual work that's being done and not a physical work. It's a future work, not a present work. And so I could use that to justify my opting out and participating in justice. And I get it. I get it, right? Because oftentimes we can look at the text, specifically in the Old Testament, where they didn't have a physical present image of what God was up to all the time. Oftentimes it was very confusing, and we have to remember that this is written from the position and the perspective of an oppressed people. And so all they are surrounded by is oppression and hunger and being downtrodden and being beaten down daily, regularly. So all they could think about, all they could envision about God is a God who only moves in the spiritual, a God who only moves in the future, not in the here and now. Even the slave songs in our American history are songs of liberation, but songs of some maybe future liberation, some future spiritual liberation. Because all they could see around them, all they could envision around them wasn't a God who was moving in the present, in the physical, but a God who was moving in the future and in the spiritual. So it's all they had to hope for. But here's the thing. There's people like Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman who aren't okay with some future liberation, who aren't okay with some spiritual liberation, but they want the liberation of what God is doing up to and what he is up to right now in the physical, spiritual, and present situation of their day. We have to learn a new theology. We have to learn how to read the scriptures in a different way. See, when we get to Jesus, when Jesus shows up on the scene, we don't just move from Christmas to the cross in one singular verse. No, we have three years of God moving in and through Jesus, physically healing, presently lifting up the paralyzed, physically opening up the eyes of the blind. Are we ready for God to move in that space here and now today? See, we could talk about being followers of Jesus all day, but if we don't copy his behavior, are we really his followers? God is inviting us. Yes, he's initiating it, but he is inviting us into justice-focused worship that involves our whole bodies. And it's hard. It is easier to sing about songs that involve God's grace and mercy and love and then extend that to others, is it equally as easy to sing about God freeing the prisoner, the oppressed, feeding the hungry, and then going to extend that same work actively, presently, physically? It's a daunting task, it is. It's especially daunting when you try to do it alone. It's still daunting when you do it maybe alongside other people whose stories you don't know, whose backgrounds we maybe don't appreciate or recognize, but it is a whole other 
beautiful endeavor when we join together, arm in arm, appreciating one another's stories, embracing one another's cultural backgrounds, understanding that their story might be different than mine, and that's okay, and learning how to together walk arm in arm and tell the truth about our history and use what man meant for evil, God means for good. Take something that is shameful and horrific and turn it around into something that is redemptive and beautiful. See, this is actually the reason why we're getting together for a potluck. It is. There is way more meaning, way more profundity to having a meal together than just, well, everybody needs a meal, so we should just slap something on the calendar to appease the masses. That is not what this is about. I am not interested in just having a bunch of events for our church just to make everybody happy. There must be meaning in what we do, and there is meaning in breaking bread together and telling each other's stories. We have to become storytellers, but we have to be honest about the stories that we're telling each other. We have to be truth-tellers as well. See, some of our stories that we're going to get together next week for our meal together. We're going to tell each other's backgrounds and stories, but some of our stories are going to be stories of pain and hurt and abuse. Maybe stories that we were victims of or pain that we participated in. And that involves truth-telling, as Brian Stephen talks about. Brian Stevenson also talks about getting proximate the simple act of rubbing shoulders with one another, getting in close proximity with one another as we tell stories and as we tell the truth. But here's the reality of it is, it involves a painful process of confession. Telling the truth about our history, but also weeping and lamenting our stories together where there is great pain. I've talked about a story of injustice racialized injustice. I haven't even gotten or even scratched the surface on the injustice of sickness that we could talk about as well. Medical sickness. That there are things that are happening in your life, in my life, medically speaking, that are unjust. It's not okay. Just Thursday afternoon alone, I spent time having lunch with a dad whose daughter is feeling all of the effects of cancer as well as the healing process that goes along with that that isn't pretty at all, to the point where it seems like she doesn't even feel human anymore. And we sat there and just wept. And to say, this sucks and it's not okay. And then I drive from that lunch to the University of Michigan Hospital and I sit with a family who is dealing with their daughter, their wife, is dealing with a brain tumor for several years, and now they have to get to the point where they have to say goodbye. That's not okay. It's unjust to have to deal with this over and over again. I spent most of the time sitting out in the hallway with her stepdad, who is ready to give up on God, because where is God in this? It's okay for us to confess and lament and shout out to God, God, I am upset. This, this isn't right. 
talk about justice, we have to acknowledge the injustice. And God is not afraid of your cussing at him. What do we need to confess? What do we need to mourn together? What is unjust? David's going to lead us in a song, but I actually don't want you to sing it. I don't want you to try to figure out what's the lyrics, what's the melody. I just want you to receive it and begin to imagine what does confession and lament and mourning actually look like for me right now. In our last gathering, somebody felt compelled to just literally go down on their hands and knees. If you need to stand, if you need to sit, if you need to kneel, whatever it is that you need to do to embrace this moment of confession. We can't rush to the good and to the hope and to the joy until we endure confession, lamenting, until we endure the cross. Let's take a moment to do that. It's important to walk through that phase, not just one time on a Sunday for a few minutes, not just in one song, but daily walk through confession. Daily mourn the injustice of the events of our day. Just pick one. To lament. To say this isn't okay but then to begin to be part of the process. See, so often we can ask the question, God, are you going to do anything about this? When I wonder if God might actually be asking us the same question, are you going to do anything about this? He's given you all the tools. He's given you every ability to participate and to copy the behavior of his son, Jesus. Otherwise, why else are we to be conformed into the likeness of his son if not to be part of the work that he wants to do? But it's daunting. Where do you start? Sometimes if this is the first time that you think about this, you can be overwhelmed, so overwhelmed, in fact, you're like, I don't even know where to begin, so peace out and, and walk away, right? I get that. And so I want to shepherd us through that process where this is a brand new conversation. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to put up some questions on the screen. I encourage you to get out your phone and take a picture of each of these questions. Unless you're a really fast writer and you can write them down, you can do that too. But the answers to these questions, I want you to bring to the meal next week as you're talking with one another. And the questions that I'm having you ask, I'm asking you to spend time journaling, praying, asking God's Spirit to reveal to you how you might answer these specific questions. The first one is this. What is a problem that you see right here in our community that is distorting the image of God in others? What's getting in the way of somebody being able to see the image of God in themselves? Where they can't find their identity in a secure place. They don't see God as their resting place. What is getting in the way of that? Now, Before you answer that too quickly, let's go to the next question because this one is equally as important. Do you know if it's actually a problem? Or do you just perceive it to be one? We can make up ideas in our head. We can read a couple uh, tweets and be like, oh, okay, I've decided I understand everything there is to understand about the coronavirus now because I read three tweets. Right, like that, it doesn't work that way, okay? We gotta do the work. 
We can't assume the need before we try to meet the need. There's a book I recommended to somebody else in the last gathering, When Helping Hurts. Sometimes we go out of our way to help thinking that, oh yes, I'm doing a good work, I'm doing all of this thing, when we realize that it's actually making it worse. We can't assume that there's a need when there might not be one. That's all part of being part of the redemptive, restorative work in the image of God. Next question is this. If it's actually a legitimate problem, what's already been addressed, been done before to address it? Maybe there's something that's already in the works. See, sometimes we like to rush out ahead of ourselves. We think that we're the only one that came up with this idea. And then we rush out ahead and we become a Messiah complex or a white savior mentality. And we say, well, I can do this because I know how to do it. I'm an expert in this. When in reality, there might be already somebody working on it. And you come alongside and partner with them. Leads to the next question. Are you the singular person? Or are we the singular church that needs to address the problem? We might be one church that's part of it. You might be one individual that's part of the solution. But it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about our fame. It's about us working together. It's partner together in the kingdom of God. The last question is this. Can we partner with somebody that's already doing the work in a way that restores the image of God in others. A lot of us have been talking about what does it mean to bear the torch of Christ's justice and love? What does that mean? It feels really abstract. We are going to work together as a community to define what that means. And we're going to get really focused, really laser focused and hone in on what is our unique gift as Life Canton to our community? What can we do that maybe nobody else can, can do? And how can we help build up the community together? How can we be the hands and feet of Jesus? David's going to lead us in another song about that. Again, it's a newer song, so don't feel pressure to sing it. But again, allow some of these questions to inform you. Allow God's spirit to wash over you. Allow the lyrics of the song to inform how you might move forward. Take your time and listen to this song. Once again, thank you so much for listening to that message. And I hope that you are inspired to take a next step, whatever the way that looks like for you. Uh, one real easy next step for you to potentially take is by being part of our community. If you uh, live locally near the Canton area and would like to come in person and join us for a meal, we're getting together on Sunday, February 26th. And you can join us for Potluck. If you want to bring something to share, you can. There's more information on our website, so you can check that out. Uh, but we would love to have you break bread with us and, and hear each other's stories as well. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you back here soon.